All right. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Good. Hey, it is good to have you here. Uh, again, my name is John. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that and just pray that uh, everyone feels welcomed and encouraged and loved uh, in this place today in our community. And uh, if you're just joining us for the first time today or maybe you've been, uh, been out for a couple weeks, we are continuing a sermon series today called The New Testament Times. So if you pull out your bulletin, I mean your newspaper uh, for the day, uh, we are looking at some of the headline news from the New Testament. So if you can imagine if the news stations and the papers got a hold of some of these famous stories from the New Testament, what would that look like? So let's go ahead and read the headline news today, right at the top of your newspaper there, the headline news for this morning. Let's read, read that together. Wild baptizer preaches repentance at River Jordan. Now imagine that instead of you holding a bulletin this morning, imagine that you're holding the Des Moines Register. Okay, and you, you get your coffee and you're sitting down on your Sunday morning and you look at that and you say, wild baptizers down by the river. Now, I want you to, to, to think for a second and put that in modern day's uh, terms. You, you read on and you read that some guy dressed in camel skin, some guy that eats locusts, he's, he's been living in the wilderness for a while. He kind of wandered his way over to Gray's Lake. And uh, you read that he's hanging out over by Gray's Lake and he's... he's uh, He's preaching, and he's calling people to turn from their sins, and he's taking people, and he's just dunking them in Gray's Lake. Kind of strange, don't you think? Probably one of those lunatics that you read about in the news, right? You probably wouldn't pay any, pay, any attention to him whatsoever. But as it turns out, as we're going to find out today, throughout Scripture, God uses the most unlikely people, even people that wear hideous 1970s shirts, God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his mission. In fact... I think if that story actually happened, I wonder what would it look like if CNN or Fox News got a hold of it. Well, as it turns out, they did. And we find out today what exactly happened on the headline news. Let's take a look. Wild baptizer preaches repentance at River Jordan. John the Baptist was shouting in the wilderness for the people to repent and be baptized. His clothes of camel hair and diet of locusts and honey set a high bar for the beatniks of the world. But in spite of his hygiene, people came from all over the land to hear him speak, even the Pharisees and Sadducees. And with them there, John pounced on the opportunity to denounce them. He told them to show proof of their repentance by the way they live and to stop riding on Abraham's coattails. For if they did not produce good fruit, the axe of God would chop them down. How about that? For John spoke of someone who would come to separate the chaff from the wheat and the good fruit from the bad. And John would not see himself fit to be this man's sandal-carrying slave. For while John baptized with water, the one to come would baptize with the Holy Spirit. All right, let's give a hand to our production team for that one. That's good stuff. Okay, maybe it wasn't today's news, but... And anyway, is the Three Stooges in your story? Is that in your Bible, in Matthew chapter... I, I don't know. They're, not, they're in mine, but... Um, so, speaking of Matthew chapter 3, if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, and that's where we're going to start today. We're actually going back in time a little bit. You know, Pastor Mike last week talked about Jesus' temptation for 40 days in the wilderness. Well, right before that some pretty significant things 
happened. And so today, we're actually going back a chapter to, the, to the, actually the beginning of Jesus' public ministry in Matthew chapter 3. Because if you're a big deal, right? If you're, like a, if you're a really famous artist, you need an opening act, right? If, if you're going to a U2 concert, let's say, and it starts at 7, who do you think is going to be on the stage at 7 o'clock? Not you too, right? They probably got like three or four opening acts because they're such a big deal and they're coming and you're excited for it. So if you go at seven, you're not going to hear you too. You're probably going to hear some band called like Nuclear Hoedown or something like that. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. But you need an opening act if you're a big deal. And in, in a way, that's where we find our friend John the Baptist. So if you look at Matthew chapter three there, uh, John is uh, a very manly man. If you can kind of make out that picture a little bit, John's posing uh, with his uh, chiseled frame there for us because he's been working out. He's been living in the wilderness, a very unlikely person to be getting people ready for the Messiah. And we, and we find John the Baptist starting out here in verse 2. And instead of getting the crowd all pumped up and happy like a normal opening act would, that's not exactly what John's message is either. John has a little bit different message, and let's read that together from Matthew 3, verse 2. Let's read that. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent of your sins. Now, it's important to realize this isn't just some crazy guy like out at Gray's Lake yelling out, turn or burn, turn or burn, right? Right? This is not what John is up to. It's important to know that for any faithful Jew, which a lot of these people living out on the countryside are, for any faithful Jew, it's important to know that the words to the Old Testament, to the, to the prophecies, to the scriptures, are coming alive right before their eyes. Seven centuries. Think about that. Seven centuries before even the birth of Jesus. Jesus is 30 years old, and he's about ready to come on the scene. Seven centuries before this, the prophet Isaiah foretold this. And if you look at verse 3 in your Bibles, it says this. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. They're talking about John. Seven centuries before he was even here. The Lord, prepare the way for the Lord, clear the road for him. So if you're a good Jew, there's no way that you're missing the opening act, right? If you're going to go to U2, you could probably get there about a half an hour late and, and it'd be okay to miss nuclear hoedown, right? That'd be okay. Because what you really want to see is U2. But, but if you're a good Jew, you are really excited about this because John the Baptist, the one that you've been reading about, you're like, this must be the guy. And if the opening act is there, that means that the real deal is coming soon. That means the Messiah must be on his way. But unfortunately, the, the common belief was in the nation of Israel for, for a good Jew is that because we're God's chosen people, is because we're children of Abraham, that means the Messiah is going to come with his kingdom, and we've been oppressed by the Romans for all these hundreds of years, and so when the Messiah comes, he's going to come on his horse with a, with a sword and with his armies, and he's going to destroy the Romans, and he's going to take over and be this great military leader. Well, as we know, that's not exactly what happened. A Jew would say, I want those dirty scumbag Romans to get what they deserve. But that's not what John's message was that day. John says, repent. Wait a minute. Humble yourselves. We know that Jesus' kingdom is different. It's not one where we win by force, but through humility and sacrifice. And so if you're going to enter his kingdom, it's going to mean living a brand new way of life that according to John the Baptist comes through this act of repentance. 
repentance. Now, when John says repent, the kingdom is here, he's not saying, well, just kind of say you're sorry and let me dunk you and hose you down with a super soaker or something like that. That's not what John is saying. He's saying there is a brand new kind of life that's available for you today, this new reality that you can live in, and it's called the kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. This can be a definitive moment in your life, and it can start right now. So I want to ask you this morning, how would you view your Christian life? How would you view your life differently if you believe that eternal life was not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life that can be experienced right here and now? right? Not just some day off in the clouds and say, some, some glad morning when I fly away, then I'll be able to experience the kingdom. John says the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's here and it's starting to move. To the crowd and to us here today, John's message is that everything is about to change because Jesus is on the move. And as you keep your eyes fixed on that horizon, you keep an eye out for the Messiah because when he comes, I want you to be ready. Because isn't it amazing in our lives how the presence of the right person can change everything? The presence of the right kind of person can change everything. I'm just wondering today, do we have any Twins fans? Any Twins fans? Do you want to admit it? Okay, three of you. How about Cubs fans? Okay, that's a little bit. How about you just don't care about baseball whatsoever? Okay, the rest of my sermon's about baseball, so, all right, good. So it's this game with a bat and a ball, okay. So, Twins fans. So growing up, my dad was from Minnesota, so naturally we are Twins fans, Minnesota Twins, and they're uh, up in the Twin Cities. And so uh, as long as I can remember, we were Twins fans, and, and we knew everything, and we collected baseball cards, and we'd go to, go to Twins games, and uh, one of my favorite, most favorite memories with my dad is when my brother and I would go with him to Twins games. And we'd go to the Metrodome, which is kind of like collapsed and has a big hole in it right now. But we'd go to the Metrodome uh, a couple times each summer. And so one day, I don't know, I was in, I don't know, maybe I was seven or eight years old. And we, I was just like enthralled with this. Like we came up to the stadium, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. And we come up and one day we caught wind that if you go around to the back of the stadium, you can see where the players go in and out right? And so we caught wind of this, and my brother and I, our thoughts immediately go to, we could see number 34, the greatest Twins player ever, our hero, Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett, right? So like, this is our big chance, okay? So, so the biggest star of the Twins, he's our hero. And so we run over there with our dad, and we're kind of, there's this big long line that's formed, and it's this big like, concrete wall, and there's this fence, right? So we're kind of separated from the really popular people, so no weirdos get next to him, right? So we're kind of pushing our way up to the front, and we're, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and so a, f- a few people start to come out from the players' locker room, and we're like, oh man, this is going to be so cool, and we've got our, our balls and our bats all ready uh, for them to sign. And a few people come out and a few more people, and you can't quite see. But then down the row comes this chatter. I think he's coming. I think he's coming. And everybody's looking. Everybody's looking. And out walks this skinny 130-pound white guy. It's just Greg Gagne, right? Now, Greg Gagne was the shortstop, and he was a really good player, right? But he's not Kirby Puckett, okay? And you're not going to go very far in life with a name like Greg Gagne. I'm sorry. Apologize to anybody named Greg, but... Greg Gagne. So he's not Kirby Puckett. Now, Greg was a really smart guy because he sees all these people lined up and they've all got number 34 Kirby Puckett jerseys on. So he's pretty smart. He's like, these people aren't here to see me. 
they're here to see Kirby, right? So Greg does a really cool thing, and he looks at the crowd, and he goes, hey, everybody, just thought I'd let you know Kirby's on his way. And everybody just goes, oh, and then everybody's just freaking out, and and everybody was sitting there, and this crowd goes from a tired-out, exhausted, cranky baseball fan mob to the most polite, excited, exuberant bunch, and they're grabbing all the memorabilia they can, and one guy's like, I'm going to have him sign my forehead. It's going to be awesome, and I'm never going to take a shower, and all this stuff, and everybody's getting ready because the presence and the thought of the presence of one person changes everything, and so here he comes out of the tunnel. It's Kirby, and he comes walking out all dapper in his suit and everything, and he weighs very presidential, you know, and everything. And he comes out, and he's so awesome. He's so gracious, and he goes down the whole row, and he's signing autographs, and he's shaking hands, even the Annenson boys. It was amazing. It was amazing. And here's the thing. Gagne's job was to get us ready. But Kirby was the real deal. He wanted us to be ready to prepare our hearts. And that is the heart of John the Baptist. You see, in, in my story, Gagne realized, Greg Gagne realized, I'm not the star. I'm not the one that everybody came to see. I'm just going to get people ready. And that's the heart of John the Baptist. Look down at verse 11 as we continue in our story. That's the heart of John the Baptist. He pulls a Greg Gagne and he says this in verse 11. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Who is greater than than I am. That was the role of John the Baptist. So the proper response for all of us is to get ready, to prepare yourself to repent and be baptized. Repent. (sighs) I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, sometimes when I hear the word repent, it just sort of feels heavy. You know what I mean? It just kind of feels like this big, heavy thing. And you're probably sitting there right now going, okay, I've seen this one before. I come to worship. All right, preacher boy. Tell me I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Tell me to repent of my sins and then send me home and I'll come back next week and we'll do it all over again, right? For some of you, for some of us, that's kind of how we viewed our Christian lives. And I'm not exaggerating. It's just one heavy load after another. In fact, for some of you, your entire Christian life is just one burden after another. I don't, I don't know about you, but so often when we hear that word, we think, oh, here's this big, huge, heavy thing that I have to do for God, and I'm going to feel really, really, really guilty, and I'm sorry, God, but I'll never do it again. So instead of just dropping the load at Jesus' feet, we start, oh, wrong pocket, we start pulling out all these different things in our lives that we need to get fixed. And some of them are like eight-pounders, And some of them are like five-pounders. And here's what we do. We say, oh, God, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that bad word at the softball game. (sighs) Oh, yeah, you know, I probably, probably shouldn't have gossiped about my coworkers. I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. But also, yeah, I think I got a little angry with my wife last week. And you know what? I went to that Internet site again again, and on comes the guilt, and on comes the shame, and on comes the baggage. And for a lot of us, you can't see it because it's on the inside, but a lot of you came in here today like this. You're hunchback Christians because you won't let it go 
because repentance to you has become one more thing to feel guilty about. Does this look like the abundant life? Does this look like a life to the full that Jesus promises us? Is this the abundant life? I don't think so. It's almost like being a Christian sometimes just gives us more things to feel guilty about. And to a lot of you, that's kind of what repentance is. But thankfully, John the Baptist gives us this incredible clue to what repentance is really all about. Look back at verse 2, way at the beginning. Look at this, right here. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the question is, why are we repenting? Just to tell God how bad we've been and just to load ourselves down a little bit more? No, we repent because... The kingdom of God is near because Jesus is near, because good news is near, because on the other side of repentance is forgiveness and new life. Because repentance isn't just turning from sin, it's turning towards God. In fact, the literal meaning of repent is to turn around and go in the opposite direction. In other words, Jesus is saying, you don't have to carry that any longer. Repentance means you let it go and you give it to God where it belongs. Think about it this way. Look at what Jesus says in Mark 1, 14 through 15. I believe we have this up on the screen. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. Let's read this together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Does that sound familiar? Right? Jesus and John are kind of using the same language here. This is exactly what Jesus is getting at. Repentance is so much more than feeling guilty. It's about believing the good news. So think about it this way. Check out this diagram on the screen. So if you kind of see that, you got this white line, and there's, there's two opposite directions. There's two different ways that we can live our lives, by the flesh or by the spirit. And so you're going along on that white line at the top, and there's a red X right in the middle. All of us have these moments in our lives when we realize, I screwed up, Right? I need to repent. I need to ask for forgiveness. We all have those moments. So we're going along and we get on the repentance circle that I'll call. We get on the repentance circle. And for a lot of us, we start moving in that direction where that red arrow is. And we repent and we stay there. And we start putting those weights and those burdens and the guilt and the shame and we kind of get stuck there. This is the Christian life. This is what it's all about. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And we get stuck. And what we do is then that middle red arrow, we just go right back up and we do it all over again. I don't know. Maybe there's some of you here today that are saying, I've been struggling with the same sin my whole life or even the last five years or even the last five months. And I just want to get rid of it. But what you do is you start going around the half circle and you go right back on up. And you just keep going round and round and round and you get stuck. For many of us, we know that we should repent, and so we start piling on all those rocks, but we get stuck halfway around, and we just say, you know, I'm never going to beat it. I'm just not a very good Christian. But Jesus says, no, there's two sides to this. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. And so we got to go around the circle. We got to go through that in our minds. There's two sides to the story. There's repenting, and then there's believing the good news. If we just repent, and if we just stay there, and we say, you know, I am terrible. I do have to carry all these things alone. We get stuck in guilt and shame. But if we move, and we say, God, I want to believe that what you say about me is true. Yeah, I sin, 
but I'm not a dirty, rotten sinner because I am forgiven. I have a new identity. I have power. And how do we know that? How do we know that? Romans 8. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. This is where the truth for us comes in. This is what John the Baptist, this is what Jesus is trying to get at. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans is in the New Testament, so just keep going past where you were in Matthew, and you'll get to Romans. And Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Meaning you don't have to carry around that load anymore. And then look at verse 2 right after that. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So not only... Not only do we have freedom, we get a new identity because we are in Christ and we get power. Not power to defeat it on ourselves because we know that on our own, none of us can defeat those things in our lives. But as I surrender to Jesus and let him work through me, he has victory. I have victory through him. No guilt, a new identity, and power. Sounds a lot better than dragging around all those rocks, doesn't it? Repent and believe. And so I want to ask you, what is it that you believe about yourself today? For some of you, you've been listening to other voices for far too long. Not the voice of your father. A lot of you are stuck on the other side of the circle in guilt and shame. And some of you, you've been carrying those weight, that weight your whole life. And it's become so normal that that's just the way it is. You think that's all there is. What do you believe about yourself today? That you're a screw-up? That you're a failure? Or do you believe that you are a son or daughter set free with the power to overcome? When we believe, when we repent and believe the good news, we don't have to fear coming before God. We can approach the throne of God with boldness, with confidence, not like a, like a little puppy that knows <laughs> what it did is bad and kind of walks up to the throne of God all scared and everything. We can approach and we can run up into the arms of our Father who Jesus calls Abba Father, which literally means Daddy. Daddy which means I can go and I can say, you know, I blew it. And he'll say, I know, and he'll wrap you up in his arms. That's the father that Jesus knew. That's the father that we want you to know today. Because we know that on the other side of repentance, on the other side of that good news, is a father that's full of love. Because when I look back on that day that I spent with my dad at the Metrodome, the greatest thing that I remember was not seeing Kirby Puckett. <laughs> He's not Jesus, by the way. The greatest thing was not the baseball game. The greatest thing wasn't the road trip. The greatest thing was being with my dad. That's what I remember the most. Because when you have a father that's full of love, it changes everything. And being that it's Father's Day, it would be a shame if we just skipped right on past this passage and went to the next chapter. Because if you look at the next section down to verse 16, look at that with me we're going to miss the best Father's Day gift that was ever given by God the Father himself. So if you can remember, Greg Gagne comes out and then Kirby comes out. John the Baptist comes out 
and then comes the Messiah. And then comes Jesus himself. So after John the Baptist prepares people and has them baptized, over the hill comes the Messiah. And he says to John, baptize me. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to model what it is to be a leader and model what I want the people to follow me, what I want them to do. Jesus is the best leader that ever lived. He humbles himself, he surrenders himself, and he says, I want that blessing from my Father. So look at verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Now, Think about this for a second. The heavens literally open up. Can you imagine the scene here? Filmmakers for decades have been trying to capture this moment. I mean, imagine the scene. The heavens are opening up and there's sound effects and it's like one of those UFO movies, you know, and the sky's parting, minus the aliens here with the dove instead. And we got all that going on and and there's the dove and there's these blinding rays of light and laser beams. And unfortunately, that all misses the point too. Because for Jesus, it wasn't the big show. It wasn't the Metrodome. It wasn't seeing Kirby Puckett. It was being there with his dad that was the most important part. So look at verse 17. And this is what God says to his son. In fact, let's read this together up on the screen. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Because when you have a father full of love, it changes everything. It changes everything. In fact, some of the, a lot of the men from this church have, have gone through a class called the Quest for Authentic Manhood. And it's in that class that the author Robert, uh, Robert Lewis says this. There are two key things. There's lots of things, but there's two key things that every son or daughter needs to hear from their father. Affection and affirmation or admiration, excuse me, affection and admiration. Affection meaning, I love you. I love you. And admiration meaning, I am so proud of you. That's what God said to Jesus that day, and it's what he says today to each of you. So is it any wonder that on the first day of Jesus' ministry, literally like his first day of school, right? A lot of you have watched your little kids run off on their first day of school, right? This is Jesus' big first day of his ministry, and it's almost like God opens up the front door to heaven, and as Jesus is running off with his backpack down the sidewalk, the God of the universe opens up the door just enough to say, Hey, son, I just wanted to remind you, I love you, and I am so proud of you. Can you imagine what Jesus felt that day? A lot of times we forget, oh, Jesus, yeah, he was fully God. Yeah, but he, also, he was also fully human. And just like every single one of us, I would imagine that he longed to hear those words from his father. He longed to know the delight of his father. And I wonder if Jesus needed to hear those words as a son. Why would it be any different for each of us? Not only from our heavenly father, but from our earthly parents as well. And so you may be wondering, okay, John, that's great. I, you know, that's nice and, and comforting and everything. And, I, and I, I think I'm a good parent. I'm a pretty good father. I, I, I tell my kids that I love them a lot. But really, John, come on, grow up. 
Come on, do adults really need to hear that? Seriously, right? We're all grown up right now. We're not little boys and girls anymore. I, you know, whatever. It was just all in the past, right? I tell my kids I love them once in a while, but it just doesn't matter. With all due respect, have you been to the movies in the last couple decades? <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, and I want you to think about this a little bit. I threw up a few on the screen you'll find that the father-son relationship is written all over our culture, especially in the movies. I don't know if you've heard of any of these. Braveheart, Batman, Robin Hood, Spider-Man, The Rookie, The Lion King, Finding Nemo, the great epic, Back to the Future, even a little lesser-known trilogy called Star Wars. Every single one of those movies, if you deduct it all the way down to the heart and the core of what that's about, it's about a son or daughter's connection with their father. Oh, you think it doesn't matter. How many billions of dollars have gone in to people seeing those movies? We crave it is because we crave the message of those movies, which is a longing to be connected with our fathers. Fathers connecting with their children. Our longing to find approval does not die when we leave our parents' house. It keeps on going. And if we don't get it as children, it's going to follow us and it's going to be a part of us. And we are going to try to fill that void with everything and anything till the day we die. That's how it works. If you were created for that relationship, we're going to try to fill it with anything. I know because I've not just seen it in the movies I've seen it in people's lives in this church. I've seen people's lives change when they finally get that blessing from their father that Jesus did in the Jordan River that day. I've seen it in a 45-year-old man who wept openly at a life group after realizing that his entire life He'd just been climbing the ladder of success and going harder and faster, almost to the point of putting his marriage and his kids on the back burner, on the rocks, just to make his dad proud of him. And his dad passed away 15 years ago. There are some voids that were meant to be filled, not by popularity and money and success, but with the simple words, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I saw this man's entire countenance change. After carrying that burden, that void with him in his entire life, as men gathered around him and placed their hands on him and said, do you know that your father in heaven loves you and is so proud of you? He'd been waiting to hear those words for 45 years. Inside every man is a little boy. And inside every woman is a little girl that longs to know that they're loved and delighted in. I've seen it in the young, some of the young women that I meet that, that hop from relationship to relationship because they don't know what intimacy is. It was never modeled for them by their father. I see it in the single mom who's running around and running herself ragged, trying to be a good Christian woman by staying busy. 
And she goes and she goes and she goes. And meanwhile, she's killing her soul in the process. Just to feel like a good mom, somehow believing that the mark of a Christian woman today is to be busy. That's what defines a woman that's in discipleship. Busy, busy, busy to try to desperately be a good enough mom. Why? So she could prove it to her parents. She never heard the words. For a lot of us, we've based our entire lives trying to fill a void that was meant to be filled with words of love. But here's the thing. We live in a culture where your worth, your value, is often based on, on how much talent or charisma you have. I mean, does anybody watch reality TV like American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Voice, any of those things? I, they're great. I love them. They're fun. I got nothing against them, but I want to point out one thing. You're judged on everything external. You're judged on how much talent you have, on how much charisma you have. In our culture, we get voted on. Our approval rating gets voted on. Even the president has an approval rating, right? We get voted on, and sometimes it's by what kind of a job you have. Or maybe here today, what, whether you have a job or not, maybe that's the case. Maybe it's, it's the size of your car. It's the size of your checkbook. It's how you stack up at the guys at the gym. It's how trendy your social life is. That's how we see ourselves. And the problem is, it's conditional. The problem is, it's on everything to do with the outside. But the beautiful, the beautiful and the wonderful truth today is that the good news that we discover about our Father in heaven is that this love that he had for Jesus existed before Jesus did anything. God's approval of you existed before you could do anything. His approval rating of you is off the charts before you performed anything. We don't perform because he's done the performing for us. And it's this word that we call grace. Folks, you don't have to stand on the stage of life today all alone waiting to get those three big yeses of approval from some celebrity judges. You don't have to stand on the stage of life today and wait to hear, yes, yes, yes. You can ask your Father in heaven today, who is the ultimate Father, and ask him, God, what do you think of me? Because ultimately, that's what matters. Not what anybody else says about you. Ask God today when you go home, Father, what do you think of me? And I guarantee that in some way you'll hear, yes, yes, yes. You're moving on to the next round, right? I approve of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. That's my son. That's my daughter. And in you, I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased. There might be some things in your life today that you need to repent of, that you need to turn around and go the other way. But know today that on the other side of repentance is the love of a father. The reality is today that it's not exactly a fun day for a lot of you. Mother's Day and Father's Day can be kind of rough. For some of you, it's going to be great. It's going to be a chance to be together as a family and go out to eat and do whatever that you do. But for some of us, maybe dad was never in the picture. Or maybe there's some pain and some wounds in your life that you've never quite forgot. But forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiving means letting go. 
Forgiving means I'm going to let go of that person's power over me and I'm going to let God be the judge because that's not up to me. Still, some of you have maybe just never received those words of affirmation from your dad. Today, I want to challenge you to have the courage, if you're able, to go ask him for it. Even if your relationship's been strained in the past, have some courage and go ask him for it and say, Dad, what do you think of me? And no matter what he says, <laughs> that is not the final verdict on you. And maybe today, you're the dad or the mom. And you've been avoiding that conversation because it's just kind of mushy-gushy and I don't really want to do that. Give your kids the best Father's Day gift that you could ever give them. If Jesus needed to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you, and certainly, so do your children. It's never too late. It's never too late. And that was the case for Ray Kinsella, an, an Iowa farmer in a lesser-known movie called Field of Dreams. And you can think what you want about this movie, but I was reading a blog post the other day, and it said, this is the greatest father-son movie that's not a father-son movie, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Field of Dreams is about baseball, right? So here's Ray, and, and this voice, I was about to say God, well, maybe it was God, this voice says, if you build it, they will come. And who's they? All these famous baseball players, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Moonlight Graham, thousands of people. Is that who this story is really all about? Funny how the climax of this movie has nothing to do with famous athletes with Greg Gagne or Kirby Puckett or any famous athletes that if you build it, they will come. Ray hears a voice. But what Ray doesn't realize is that as a man in his 40s, he's been longing his whole life to connect with his father as well. And finally, finally, he has the courage to approach his dad and to experience the intimacy with his father that he's been longing for his entire life. Let's take a look. Today, no matter what kind of relationship you have with your father here on this earth, know that you have a heavenly father who says, today, not someday in heaven, but today, let's play some catch. Just me and you. Let's play some catch and let me tell you today how much I love you. Let me tell you today how proud I am of you. If you forget everything else, know that when you have a father that's full of love, it changes everything.